0: regenerative agriculture what does that mean in this episode i chat to jake freestone farm manager at overbury estate who gives an incredible illustration of how regenerative agriculture happens in practice focusing on soil health managing the environment as well as producing food tune in if you want more Hello, welcome to the Countryside Kitchen Meets, a food and farming podcast. I'm Millie Fife, your host. I'm a mum of two, farmer's wife, food producer and passionate about flying the flag for British food and farming. Today, we'll be chatting to Jake Freestone, who is farm manager at the Overbury Estate. Then I've got some inspiration when it comes to mealtime preparation and some recipes to share, meaning you can juggle family life with the children and cook a tasty, nutritious meal that everyone can enjoy. Okay, so let me introduce you to my guest today. Jake Freestone joined Overy Farms as farm manager in 2003. Situated on the gloucestershire worcestershire border, the estate has an array of different concerns from cereal crops, sheep, conservation farming and numerous business enterprise that Jake oversees with support from a small team over at the estate. In 2013, Jake undertook Ednafield Farm Scholarship Breaking the Wheat Yield in the UK is what it was entitled. The result of this study changed the farming system at Overbury, switching to a regenerative agricultural system, putting the soil at the centre of how the estate now farms. And this involves direct drilling of all crops, covering the fields with living plants and roots at all times, growing a more diverse range of crops and rotating the sheep around the farm. Now, in 2021, Jake was awarded the Farmers Weekly Environmental Champion and the British Farming Awards Arable Innovator of the Year. And there are some new accolades to add to the mantelpiece. Jake has recently won the Caroline Dremmen Award and part of a cluster farm. He won the BBC Food and Farming Award, possibly the most decorated farmer I know. He must be doing something right so without further ado let's bring Jake on. Hi Jake are you all right?
1: Hi Millie I'm very well thank you great to see you.
0: Yeah thank you so much for your time you've been very busy recently with, with I keep bumping into you at all these awards and uh, uh, farming events and things you're, you're obviously doing something right.
1: It's, it's a busy time of year actually for farming um, you know there's a lot to be learned through the kind of the off season, I suppose, when we're not out in the fields, it's too wet, it's been a pretty wet old winter this year. Mm. Um, but actually, con- conferences and new things to learn new people to meet, actually, uh, is really, really important. So um, it's, it's a good excuse to catch up with friends. Um, Socialising is important. It's quite a quite a, um you know, a, an occupation farming that you can be on your own for quite a long period of time. Uh, whether you're in a tractor or walking fields uh, and actually that social engagement is something that's really important. Farmers, farmers learn from each other um, yeah. really well so it's, it's important to keep that going really.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, you're you're completely right. I mean, isolation is and loneliness in farming is is a is a big thing. And we we're, we're fortunate that we do have a number of organisations that support us. But but actually, that's a really key message early on. Actually, that it is important to get off the farm, go and see what other people are doing, and you know, just just have fun.
1: Oh Yeah, totally. Uh, get, getting off the farm is important and spending time with with family and friends away in different businesses, actually, as well, because you can you can learn things from, um, you know, it's one of the things that I learned a lot in my Nuffield farming scholarship was it's not just looking at farms for inspiration and new ideas. Mm. There are other businesses out there that farmers can learn from. And unless you're prepared to go out there and uh, engage with these people, um, there's a lot of information out there that we're we're really missing out on as an industry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, So it's it's hugely important.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I I went on the uh, Windsor Leadership course and uh, exactly that. I found that, you know, we're we're very good at talking to our own industry, but looking at other industries and learning from them. uh, There are so many things that you can then implement in your own business, but also you've then got a sounding board from a completely different industry or oh, how do you tackle that what well, when you've got this problem how do you you know and, it, it, and also at the end of the day there are consumers so sometimes you can ask them things in a, in a different way because we've all got a common ground haven't we that we all have to eat.
1: We have yeah the food we eat is so important and, and you're right talking to customers um, we do a very small uh, village street market once a year uh, where I sell lamb that we've produced on the farm there's some apple juice and there's some honey as well and uh, that engagement with people actually repeat customers year Mm -hmm. on year which is amazing they always come back saying oh it's the best lamb we've ever tasted you know Mm -hmm. when can we get some more it's that's a really positive thing you can tell them the the story about how it's grown um the life it's had up on the hill grazing sort of cover crops permanent pasture Mm -hmm. uh it's 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 hugely important and as an industry, I'm not sure we're great at telling our story, particularly mm. how our food is grown. And as farmers, it's one of the reasons why I do quite a lot of social media stuff is to try mm. and uh, get that message out there, really, uh, the, the positive stories about how you can produce sustainable food whilst you're improving the environment. So not just maintaining it, but actually improving it and adding adding value to everybody.
0: Yeah, I know, that's it. And, and, and soil has become such Uh, a focus and rightly so because we probably for a number of years I I don't know how many years but we've probably taken that for granted and actually through your Nuffield scholarship that was exactly what what you what the outcome
1: was of your report. Yes it was just putting the soil at the heart of of all the decision making processes um, Mm -hmm. on the farm is paying huge dividends back Mm -hmm. and uh, we heard some some amazing stats at the last nuffield farming conference that uh, during the time that uh, toby simpson took to do his presentation which was a 12 minute presentation 50 mm. tons of soil topsoil would be lost from the uk mm. um, which is millions of tons per year and it's a, it's a finite resource that we need to we need to learn how to manage it better to maintain it and keep it in our fields because at the end of the day at farm as farmers that's where that soil needs to be. It doesn't need to be on the road and in the rivers. That's the last place. It's our most valuable asset. Nuffield taught me an awful lot about how we can um, improve it, manage it. And we've been doing that for, yeah, 10 years now.
0: Oh, it's it's such a fascinating topic because thinking back to my PR and marketing business, I've done some work with a couple of the water companies. And, and again, they were looking at catchment sensitive farming. And it was exactly that. I didn't appreciate that, you know, the wind is, you know, blowing the soil into the river onto the road and actually that's how that's where a lot of the goodness is um, and you don't want that going in the river and out out of the field because that's what you're going to establish your crops on.
1: Yes exactly yes that top couple, you know couple of centimetres where all the biological activity is happening as mm. well where it, there's, it's usually very um, aerated so lots of oxygen in the soil that's the, the the healthy part and the place where a lot of the nutrition is is stored Mm. Uh, and that's the first bit to um as you say get blown or washed away if it's uh sort of mishandled the challenge we have as farmers is that uh climate change is happening we're getting periods of extreme weather mm. uh whether it's you know heavier downpours of rain or hotter drier spells so we're having to adapt to that at the same time as um as as grow food you know soil management is just be kind of going to become more and more important going forward it's a huge lesson for a lot of people to to learn very very quickly I think
0: mm-hmm. definitely definitely have you always been involved in agriculture um let's sort of take it back to the start as it were you know um how uh, were you born into farming <laughs> what, what 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 gave you the bug to uh get into agriculture
1: yeah it gave me the bug that's that's the, the exact way I describe it actually, Millie, <laughs> really. so uh, my father was a uh, head teacher, mum was an infant school teacher, so I grew up sort of in in Bristol, on the outskirts of Bristol. Yeah. And um, my godfather, Martin and Teresa, godmother up in Bedfordshire, had a, um, a county farm, county council farm at the time, milking Jersey cows, a little bit of arable land, so fam- family holidays and weekends were spent up there. Soon as I was old enough to be put on a bus from Bristol bus station, um mm-hmm. that's where I would go and have the February half term and then a week in the summer holiday. Yeah, um, in in my overalls and yeah, that's basically all I wanted to do from that moment on. I got a, a little job milking cows on a dairy farm with Rob and Pam Wilmot just outside of Bristol, and yeah, just um fell in love with the kind of the lifestyle cows. Actually, at the time, wasn't really going to be able to get into agriculture in my own my own right. So the next best thing was to look at farm management. Mm-hmm. So looked at um, Sealhane Agricultural College, Harper Adams, to do a degree, went to Sealhane in Devon, and then, yeah, moved on, worked for the Duke of Bucklew in Northamptonshire, not a million miles away from you. Yeah. back the, the state, BQ mm-hmm. Farms. Yeah. Um, and then Velcourt, had four years with Velcourt, managed farms in Kent, up on the Cotswolds, Lincolnshire, uh, and then came here, as you say, in uh, 2003. So yeah, 20 years.
0: Yeah, fantastic. fantastic. I bet it has. I bet it has. And I mean, you're saying um, getting into agriculture, there was a bit of, you know, farm management was the route for you. Uh, What what, what were the barriers you sort of had at the time? You say you couldn't go in directly into agriculture um, because obviously we're always trying to encourage new entrants into agriculture and county council farms as a way or you know uh, just just working in shared farming agreements and things like that it it can be quite a challenge can't it for to find the opportunities how how do you think if you had your time again and started again what what would you do differently maybe
1: yeah that's a really good question it's one I sort of think about uh, quite a lot actually I Mm. I think for me at the time it was a knowledge Mm. I didn't really appreciate that there were other routes to move in and 20 years ago well no 25 30 years ago probably mm. um those opportunities were probably less common as they are now yeah, yeah.
0: um
1: and there's a lot more I mean account council farms were still there but it, I I didn't really have an understanding I suppose that that was an option mm. um and certainly didn't have the capital to start um yeah you know investing in in cows tractors and things like that at the time so for me that really wasn't an option that i thought about uh, so yeah so working for other people uh, yeah. was was the the next best thing really to to become a yeah. farmer
0: yeah absolutely and uh, you've been there quite a long time now um and tell us what your average day looks like because there must be so many different things going on on average. I, mean, I know from, work, again, working with other estates, no two days are ever the same, and there's always so much <laughs> going on.
1: There is, there is. There's a lot going on. I've got, got a really great team of people here on the farm, actually, that uh, enable me to do other things um, in, in some of the sort of education and communi- communication world, but meet the guys on the farm half seven in the morning, um, and that's where we sort of work out a, a rough plan of campaign usually hit hit the office for some emails um try to you know clear some of those down if if we can before breakfast crop walking in the in the morning or meetings you know there are there's quite a lot of things that fill the diary and then sort of in the afternoon double check up see how everybody's getting on lots of organizing planning at the moment we're looking at sort of sustainable farming incentives yeah we're just going into the springtime, so lots of planning for fertilizer cropping. Yeah. Um. We've had a bit of a challenging winter, so kind of we're on about plan F or G or H, I think, <laughs> at the moment, on on cropping in some fields, <laughs> and then sort of some wider industry uh, bits and pieces as well. So I was chairman of Worcestershire National Farmers Union. Yeah. Did a two year stint on that. Been on the crops board, um, as well. Which, if if people are interested in in looking in a bit more detail at things that are affecting the industry. Actually, there's some really great training that NFU can organise. Uh, yeah. It's a good organisation to get involved with. Yeah. And then um, try and find a bit of time for some of the things that interest me on the farm as well. So we do every other Friday afternoon, um, I do farmer time with a school yeah. in Lincolnshire, which is half an hour of um, of a team's call with, uh, with my year sevens over there. And, if that's actually yeah, it's a really positive way to finish the week, actually. Depending on what's happening on the farm, that's where the video conference will take place. So yeah. uh, it's been in the lambing sheds, been on the tractors, drilling, looking at some stewardship, some hedgerows, watercourses. Yeah. Um, all those sorts of things and it's um yeah it's a, it's a great little experience actually I couldn't recommend that enough to people actually
0: oh, it's an amazing initiative actually and and just to sort of go into that a little bit more detail I mean obviously you're like basically like live feed into the classroom talking about what it is you're doing that day you must get some really funny interesting <laughs> questions from from all of those students
1: I, yes I do it can it's quite, quite challenging actually at times so it's mm-hmm. um yeah yeah. Yeah, seven year olds, So year two. And um, sometimes the mobile signal can be a bit tricky. We live in a rural, rural area. So that's not always, always great. But it is, it's highly relevant to whatever they're doing. I would usually just uh, message the teacher beforehand, just to say, if there's any topics that are relevant that are being covered that week, Mm -hmm. um, try and build that into the to the conversation at the time. And then the questions are are hugely random. I think that's, Mm -hmm. That's the exciting bit about dealing with seven year olds is to try and react uh, on on the spot to some very, very random questions. But it's always great fun because you you can just see they're all sitting down. They're all attentive um, and and taking it all in, especially livestock. They absolutely adore anything foal or cow or sheep related yeah uh, sheep dogs especially it's one of my uh most asked questions how many sheep dogs do we have yeah and uh and that's good and i also try to set them some challenges as well for the sort of the next next two weeks um mm. maths challenges usually working out how many seeds to plant and um how many lambs we might have from this group of sheep uh, based on their scanning percentages mm. those sorts of things so agriculture is great to um to to be able to fit around any part of the curriculum yeah Um, and and i think that's um that's something that a lot of teachers probably don't always appreciate Mm. so we did some biology the other day one of the questions were how can you tell if the lambs are boys or girls yeah so you know we had a conversation about that and um you know it, it just fits in everywhere
0: it's, it's so rewarding we we have the um, my two children are at the local primary school and we have the the kids down and again you know they're just so energetic and in, interested in absolutely everything the questions that they they come out with and then and they remember it as well when I now go to the school gates are like oh you know how many <laughs> lambs how's that lamb doing and you know they're you know they, they kind of follow it through and uh, and it, it is so rewarding and whether or or not it's coming in person or like on a on a zoom call they, mm. and then we do initiatives like obviously for an industry like open farm sunday as well which i know again you've been uh, hugely involved with um over the years through linking environment and farming it really is so important for us to be able to open our doors in in a in a way that kind of showcases the food that we're growing and how it how the whole journey really from field to plate
1: so yes, I mean, Open Farm Sunday is a great day. We, we've hosted it most years. It's not our biggest farm event. We used to do an open day lambing when we lambed indoors and we would yeah. have eight, nine hundred people up for a day around the lambing pens, which was, mm. which was amazing, if not very tiring experience. But it yeah. gave everybody such a good feeling about, you know, animal welfare and UK meat production and things like that. Mm. Um, open Farm Sunday uh, across the country, um, you know, quarter of a million people out on farms all on one day. Up to four hundred farms, all open, it's all free. Mm. Um, it's an incredible opportunity to to engage with our customers, and I think we, you know, as I said earlier on, I don't think the industry's been great at doing that. Mm. It's getting better every, you know, every year. We we do get better and we do learn. But yeah. it's that whole communication piece and and helping people understand the importance of the sort of purchases that they're making and the choices mm. that they're making yeah it's something we all need to do better, I think um, yeah. and you know, I'm no exception in that we need to we need to keep flying that that union jack over our produce
0: definitely. And you've just been recognized recently with the first ever Caroline Drummond award, and you know both you and I um had the privilege of working with Caroline, who sadly is no longer with us, but she was the the founder of Leaf and it, you probably find this as well that it would be lovely just to pick up the phone and speak to Caroline about the, the things that happen. Um, I know from obviously setting up No Fest Meals Busy Parents as a community interest company, I wish I had that dial-in number that I could just, because it can be quite a lonely business. And and I'm sure when she was setting up Leaf, it was, people probably looked at her and thought she was an alien or, you know, what what is it? What, this crazy woman doing sort of thing. But actually now it's like, Oh, you know, this is amazing. This is what our industry needs. I don't know if you feel the same.
1: Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, mm. I mean, she's she's missed daily by the industry, and mm. and never more so than now in mm. terms of the challenges that we're facing. Mm. She was just really wise. She could see both sides of of pretty much every argument. Um, yeah. She's pretty bullish about her opinions, which is you know you need you need that as well. Mm. Um, but the but the wisdom and and you're right at you know a conversation to Caroline about what you you know might be thinking about or projects or ideas was always came away positive and with a degree of clarity in mm. your in your mind, and the the industry and the country I think needs that sort of leadership at the moment. We are yeah. in a, a really, as a, as an industry we're in a very challenging place at the moment. Right, kind of yeah. Red tractor and how that sort of sits and um, its future. Yeah the challenges within the environment mm-hmm. uh the, the water pollution and um you know the the environment agency and you know just we we need desperate leadership really from within the industry and Caroline delivered that in spades so yeah. um yeah it was a huge loss to everybody
0: yeah yeah but
1: um we mustn't um yeah we've got to keep her work going and that's yeah, yeah that's part of one of my challenges to main, maintain that keep working with leaf who are going from strength to strength 1991 they started yeah um and they're really you know a really great crowd of, of very passionate people that are working there now so it's um legacy is strong so it's yeah good.
0: definitely and working in conjunction with the environment plays such a huge part in the work that you do in a nutshell you know why why is that so important
1: it, we do do a lot here for for the environment i think i think for me personally and i know penelope who's had the um the estate in her family for eight penelope's the eighth generation so just over 300 years the environment is is hugely important because we we need to produce food but we also need to appreciate where we are and the things around us at the same time
0: mm.
1: you know and if it was just a barren lifeless soulless no birds, uh, few insects. Mm. You kind of wonder what the point of it all is, really. Yeah. um and the way we've adapted the farming system, we are uh, creating more more habitat within the fields, and I think that's important so mm. that we're growing food and providing habitat and insect food or, across the whole farm. so not just around the edges in the hedgerows in the bits that are set aside for for wildlife but but across the farm, yeah. And, um, you know, working with some really great people uh, like Paul at the West Midland Bird Ringers, mm. who's regularly out here um, ringing, weighing, identifying, sexing, and then releasing uh, farmland birds. And just looking at the the diversity of species that we have and the mm. numbers that he's ringing now is, is just really, really positive. So, you know, you get an enormous sense of self kind of self-satisfaction, I suppose, mm. But we're able to farmers are uniquely placed to be able to deliver these environmental benefits. Yeah. Um, there's not many other careers that give you that sort of opportunity. And and to be able to do this, to be able to do that is is a huge sense of responsibility, but it's also um, you know, it comes with its challenges. Yeah. But it's something that we have to maintain and and improve really.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it is when you see I don't know, um, some fox cubs or um some really nice butterflies or or just you just go for a walk and you think, oh, it's lovely. It, it's mm. but it's something that everyone can appreciate and enjoy. And uh it is, you know, that's why the countryside looks like it does. Um, because it is a, a managed landscape. It is so rewarding, like you say, to have that that satisfaction yeah. that actually you'll play a small part in managing that area of uh countryside because also it's sort of a, a small plot in time isn't it you're only going to be there for so long and it's kind of preserving it for generations to come um so that's also yeah,
1: important That that's hugely important actually i mean you, you hit the nail on the head there so that's one of the first things when i when i started here with penelope was like right we need to improve this and keep it sustainable for the next mm. 300 years Mm. um you know financially environmentally and the the soil you know underpins all of that yeah but actually one of the things that triggered my mind was one of the first years Paul was here and I went out bird ringing with him and I took Georgia my youngest daughter who would have been probably seven or eight at the time and to to hold little blue tits or linnets, robins wrens you know in your hand reed buntings Mm. um in your hand and just appreciate how vulnerable they are partly because they're like three grams each or something. And you just get a real sense of their vulnerability in the world Mm. and then how much pressure they're under. And then actually here I am in a position to be able to do something to help them. Mm. So that's, that's kind of what we need to do really. Um, But we do need to produce food at the same time. And, Mm. and, and this is the challenge that, that all farmers have faced because, you know, it is a bit of a balance, but mm. there are ways, and we're we're proving that there are ways to be able to deliver both. And yeah. I think that's also part of my communication message is that is to try to get that out there with the evidence and the and the science and the testing and the results to to back it up. So yeah, um, that's also yeah evidence gathering is part of it as well.
0: So is that the next step for you? What what does the future look like for you? Because obviously gathering that evidence again is a huge piece of work. And uh, you know, again, I know from working for other estates, you know, it's kind of collaborating with like the butterfly conservation trust and doing butterfly <laughs> surveys and all of these different things to kind of plot certain pieces of you know, certain plots of land over periods of time. I mean, you know, how what what does the future look like for you?
1: yeah that's it's a really good question actually so you're dead right working with other people is is hugely important we don't have the skills to be able to uh all the time to be Mm. able to identify you know all the plants that we have or or the moths or the insects um so it is working in partnership with other people and um say with with the west midland bird ringers they've they've been a huge asset um to us and it's great to be able to host them so we need to do a lot more monitoring. We need to do a lot more understanding of our soil as well and how we can look at kind of the, the carbon that it's storing, but also the biodiversity and the species that we've uh, that we've got in there. So we, we've just finished a project with Reading University, Dr. Millie Hood, actually, um, looking at cover crops and their impact on, on um, soil health, things like earthworms, spider numbers, things like that. And. Um, The earthworm numbers and diversity of species that we have are are off the charts compared with other farmers in the trials. So uh, we're doing something right, but we need to know more about it. We need to sort of widen that. And I think technology is going to be able to help in some of that, um, some of that testing and some of that learning. So that's a whole piece in itself, actually, is how we can upskill ourselves to be able to uh, take advantage of some technology to be able to help us rather than sort of hinder us really yeah we don't want to gather data just for the sake of it if we gather stuff it's it's got to be relevant and got to be able to help us make decisions
0: yeah
1: um so that's yeah that's probably the next part of the challenge really
0: definitely is that having that meaningful data that actually you can take action from um and learn from and it you know the way that you're saying that you the earthworm number or the worm numbers are off the scale compared to other farmers presumably that's partly because you're direct drilling so you're not disturbing that top level of soil um just sort of thinking of everybody listening you're kind of like what does that in in layman's terms mean really um that actually you're planting the seeds directly you're not disturbing that 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 biological kind of uh ecosystem
1: yeah exactly so The regenerative agriculture path that we're on is all around minimizing soil disturbance. So Mm. plowing, cultivations are pretty much out of the window. We've got one machine that plants the seed straight into the soil, regardless of what's already on that soil surface. So whether that's a cover crop, which is something we plant between our main crops that we harvest, and that can be quite a diverse mix of species usually Mm -hmm. some legumes and brassicas maybe a bit of cereals in there as well and and those are acting like um, little solar panels capturing the sun's energy and Mm -hmm. turning that into uh soil uh food basically to Mm -hmm. feed so sugars to feed the bacteria uh who in turn feed other things in the soil and ultimately through that soil food web you get up to earthworms, which are the sort of the, the larger soil kind of dwellers if you like, apart mm. from holes and things like that. Mm. So yes, direct drilling, cover cropping, we rotate our livestock around our fields more so they're not just on the grass fields, they're grazing they're grazing some of the crops that we're going to harvest at certain yeah. times of the year. they'll they'll graze cover crops. Um, and all of that is helping to improve the, the carbon that's in the soil improves the water infiltration so when it when it rains heavily the water goes into the soil rather than runs off the surface which is where you then get erosion mm. and also with the with sheep um, mucking and urinating on the fields that's also a source of fertilizer yep. so the, the build-up of organic matter which is like a big sponge in the soil that holds more nutrition so we can put less pesticides on less fertilizer on yeah, um, which helps the economic performance, but it also helps the environmental as- aspect as well. So, yeah, regenerative agriculture—it's uh, got a huge role to play.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, in um, in a sustainable future, food production.
0: Oh, it's it, it, and it is a big cycle. Uh, we could talk about this all day because it just absolutely <laughs> fascinates me. And I'm like you. I'm always learning. So, thank you about explaining that because. That to me, in a nutshell, is what regenerative agriculture is all about.
1: <laughs> it is, and there are lots of people that's sort of getting on the little bit of a bandwagon in terms yeah. of you know producing regen food and mm. and things like that. And actually, um, again, coming back to communication, we've we've got a job to do as an industry to try and get the the right definition out there for people to to really understand. So it's not just a um, you know a, a a banner or a headline kind of um advertising ploy if you like there are mm. some some genuine changes in farm strategies mm. that kind of underpin that to make it make it truly regenerative.
0: Yeah definitely definitely now let's turn our attention to cooking do you enjoy cooking or I, I ask this question to all of my guests because see so we're working so hard to grow food but do you enjoy preparing it and eating it?
1: I do. Yes, I do. Most definitely. And I, one of the, so we don't do it anymore. We used to let some land out for potatoes mm-hmm. um, to a, a neighbour. So I'm going back probably 2016, 2015. Um, we also uh, grow a few hand-picked peas. And then we've got our lamb as well. So one of my favourite uh, meals uh, was homebred lamb. Um, peas directly from the field and then potatoes directly from the field and and that on a Sunday afternoon Sunday lunchtime um, followed by creme brulee is something that um, yeah is is a very satisfying meal to be had. I've got a little greenhouse in the garden I'm just sort of looking out across it at the moment and Mm -hmm. some raised beds um, which look wonderful until about July Mm -hmm. uh, when we all go combining and then drilling and kind of time in the greenhouse sort of runs out yeah um yes courgettes uh, courgette fritters for breakfast mm-hmm. uh, got a few chickens around as well and um that's actually a, a really good way to to use up the abundance of courgettes that i think everyone <laughs> has um, <laughs> at certain times of the year that's one of my favorite breakfasts actually
0: oh sounds amazing I know what we're saying about courgettes though because it's one of those plants that you just put in the ground and they just survive and then they just you just can't eat enough of them and then you feel like you're eating it all year round I mean by the end of the year I end up giving some to my pigs because I'm just like I can't I'm just fed up of eating it all I mean or I do I do volunteer with the food larder so I do give some to them as well but uh it it is one of those crops that you can neglect and actually they still seem to survive
1: which is it, yes it's, it's an amazing crop and actually tim who drives the combine here on the farm he's a champion cucumber grower <laughs> so um he comes in at certain times of the summer with armfuls of cucumbers to to give round to everybody in the office or you know the guys on the farm so it's uh, yes i think um He's got a real knack for growing cucumbers. Oh
0: wow. Is he on social media? Because I want to follow him because we we <laughs> grow um we grow cucumbers in a polytunnel and my two boys go in there, pick them, and eat them like snozcumbers. Like honestly, <laughs> yeah. it's like their snack. They love it. And we had 10 plants and we got over a hundred cucumbers this year. Um and, yeah. it's just, and again, it's one of those crops that once you've got established, it just just seems, seems to, to keep, keep giving. on giving yeah yeah it's amazing yeah. so how can people find out more information about you
1: so co- on social media i do quite a lot um if you google at number one farmer jake there's a lot of things on twitter and a lot of things yeah. actually on youtube a um, little bit of instagram stuff as well and just exploring with tiktok trying to look at you know the latest media channel if you like yeah. to uh to get that communication story out there about but our farm and our food and our wildlife, really,
0: definitely. Well, I'll put the links in the show notes as well, so everyone can find those if they're, if they're not Thanks, already Millie. scrolling now and and searching for you. Um, but now we are going to share a few ideas that you can try at home too. It's a real simple one this time, and I am using three ingredients that are most certainly grown and produced in the UK. Eggs, milk and plain flour to make a batter mixture for Yorkshire puddings or it can be used for a pancake mix too. I have to say that I don't tend to measure the the ingredients out, but I'll put a link in the recipe uh, in the show notes when I've worked out how much I actually use. I generally use three eggs, freshly laid, of course, whole milk, probably a quarter of a pint, plain flour, probably about 100 grams or so. And then whisk until there's no lumps. And you can prepare this in advance and keep in the fridge until you need it. My kids always get involved with this. It is a bit messy, but hey, they're learning at the same time. And then when you're ready to make your Yorkshires, the tray needs to be oiled and really, really hot for the Yorkshires to work. Mine need um, about 30 minutes to cook because I have an ever-hot oven. But if you've got a fan oven, it'll probably take slightly less. Now, in season right now, February time, cauliflower kale leeks brussels sprouts spring greens and then looking at meat beef chicken pork is available all year round and probably this time of year you'll still be able to get hold of some game like venison or pheasant and i'll share a link um to the no fest meals of busy parents uh february page because there's lots of recipes there using those seasonal ingredients but why do i mention this about what's in season to me, I feel it's really important, but actually it's about lowering food miles and the energy needed to get it to us. It's avoiding paying a premium for food that has had to travel from across the globe. It, Like we've been discussing earlier in our conversation, reducing our carbon footprint. It's fresher and nutritious and also also it's supporting our British producers and the local economy. Okay, that's all we've got time for today. Don't forget to tune into the next episode of the Countryside Kitchen Meets, which is on the first of each month. And you can subscribe on all major podcast streaming platforms and get in touch. Would you like to be on a future episode? Drop me a line um, and share some recipes. You can either email me hello at Millie5.com or send me a voice note on WhatsApp. And you may have also noticed that No First Meals are busy parents, now that it's become a community interest company, I have revamped our website. And so it is now very much more user-friendly. So on there, there are recipe ideas, there are seasonal ingredients, and there is a spotlight on UK farmers and food producers. So have a look and see what you think. There's also all of the podcast episodes there. There's over 30 to choose from. Um, and of course, there is social media, so Facebook and Instagram too. Thank you so much for joining me today, Jake. It's been brilliant to chat to you and to find out more about what your day-to-day work on Over Overbury Estates comprises of. I hope you've enjoyed the experience.
1: I have loved it, Millie. Thank you so much for having me on as well. It's um, It's been a real pleasure to catch up with you again properly
0: thank you right well thank you all for tuning in and we'll see you next time bye